Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the natural lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Haven't been out in nature in a long time. If you listen to the last solo podcast, I talked about how I got myself off the addictive substance known as Kratom. If you don't know what Kratom is, you can Google it. You have a device in your pocket that can give you any bit of information with the speed of ease. You know, it's wild how we can learn anything at any time. You know what I mean? Like anything you want, you can look it up. You know what I mean? I mean, you want pizza and you want French fries from Burger King or something like that. You can coordinate that as well. We live in the future. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy to report that I have been, you know, sober off that Kratom for almost three months. I think I'll be celebrating three months next week. And, uh, you know, I felt the, the urge to hike today. One, because it's beautiful out. Two, haven't done it in a while. And three, I came back with the podcast last week and didn't really check in with you all about me, the B.O.B., here in the place to be. Feeling pretty good out here in nature again, you know. I mean, I was going to the Norristown Fire Park, but I just wasn't podcasting. I wasn't walking around in the woods with a microphone like I used to. Because, you know, it, it is what it is. Sometimes you got to... Oh, I thought I, oh, thought I lost you. I didn't. I'm here. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I going to go interview people, you know, again? Am I going to talk alone in the woods? Am I going to end the show at episode 400? You know, because it's like, you know, I'm just doing this for journalistic reasons at this point. I'm not trying to be Joe Rogan. I'm not trying to be anything like that. There's hundreds of Bobcasts. If you look it up online, you know, it's okay. You know, uh, I've learned to let go of those types of feelings. I've always talked about too on the show, how it's a shame that like an artist can't just make art for the sake of art. You have to make art and then sell it. It becomes a monetary function. And once it becomes that, it loses its value. In my opinion, this is art. Okay. I'm not asking for anything. Don't even want it. It's the thing I like about Banksy, too. Nobody knows who he is, and he doesn't want to seek out the fame like that. He just wants to be anonymous, and he wants to, or she, it could very well could be, you know, a ruse, or a they. You know, it's 2023. So, uh, yeah, there's lots of things that, uh, it was a good summer. Got lots of sun. One time I uh, went heavy on the tanning oil, and I came back looking like a nylon boy. Everybody didn't know how to look at me. They, they, it was like almost like I had just like appeared out of the Bible after being in the desert for 20 days. I was pretty tan. It felt pretty good. Uh, we went to the shore. We had seafood. We drank by the bay. We did all sorts of things, you know? What did you do? Did you spend summer the way you wanted or was it like a, a hassle? I'm walking on leaves right now at the woods because it's fall and it feels like fall. This is my favorite season. This is the season where I tend to feel like, I guess when the ecosystem around me dies for, you know, how many times, 26 billion times the leaves have been dead? Or there probably wasn't really leaves like on planet 
earth until much later when the, the plants and everything grew. But how many times have the leaves died here on planet Earth? What's your guess? 15 billion? 26 billion? Maybe only, you know, maybe this is just a, a facade and we have no clue really what's going on whatsoever. And we're in a simulation. Is that a theory that you like? Because that kind of theory scares me, to be honest with you. That means somebody's pulling the strings. Why is this guy making me go to work? I don't want to go to work. Nobody wants to go to work. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like career, work. I've always valued art over work. And it's nice when you can get paid to do something that combines the two. And I've always tried to do that. But, you know... I, there's something about when you sit down and you draw and you get into the drawing and and you just you're not thinking like of the audience per se you're thinking just of how much fun you are actually having in this sketch and this variation of the creation coming through in your mind i was listening to this podcast with this guy matt rife on rogan and at the tail end of it after they had smoked copious amounts of marijuana they were talking about what they contemplate life is like after death and Matt said something I never heard somebody say before, which I'll share with you. He said, what if like, you know, when you die, the lights go out, but your consciousness still keeps going, but you never get to interact with humans again. And you're always in the dark. And it scared me, man. It definitely scared me. And then I realized, oh, that's right. I go to storehouse church and I believe in God. That's the other thing y'all should, you need to know about. Okay. I, stick, I stuck with it at church, okay? And then I said, hey, I'm going to bring out the strings E, A, D, and G and play in the church band, the worship band, excuse me. It's different than church band. Church band, worship band, gospel band. I'm not really sure the differences, but I know there is. Maybe the listener could tell me the difference. But, uh, you know, I remember the first time, I haven't played in front of an audience, guys, like that. Since I was in Judah Kim in the assassination, I believe that band was from like 2016 to like 2019, maybe, or 18. I can't really recall. It's all blurred before COVID, you know, but uh, yeah, I was, I was going out doing shows, still doing the top of the world festivals, you know, having a good old time, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I just missed home, you know, I missed Tyler, I missed my wife and I also realized that like doing the late night gigs, drinking, doing other activities, it's just, it's, just, it's it, I had moved past it in a way, you know what I mean? Also, I had really grown fond of napping and sleeping in general. Um, I'd stayed up many nights to two, three in the morning. And now I was getting up to pee at that hour after being in bed for, for like since 8 p.m., I like to go to bed early now. I get up every day at the same time. And I do believe when you adhere to a schedule like that, it helps you with like a, a better mental flow. Like I know some people can sleep in. I can't. I can't do it. I got to wake up every day. 5.34 a.m., baby. Woo! So, you know, the guy Steve at church, I've always admired his like song selections of worship music. He introduced me to the band Elevation, which I think is just dope. And... um they were like, do you, you know, do you come out and play, do the practice? I did the practice. I was really feeling it. This guy, Brian was the drummer and Brian's like, he reminds me definitely of Neil Pert. He also, he's older than me probably by maybe 20 years or so, but he has such a great old school rock and roll vibe when he plays the drums. 
and we complimented each other well. It was fun. That was my first gig. I was nervous, man. I was so nervous. I practiced this song so much. I um, <laughs> I had a great time. You know, I lived with the, the songs. And the thing that's interesting is, like, you play four songs two times, right? So you do it once at 9 o'clock in the morning and then once at 11 o'clock in the morning. So you got two performances, two, you know, tries at it. And that's so much different, guys, than what I used to do. I used to have to wait all day to play. It's the worst part about being a musician, in my opinion, is that you don't get to go to work till 9 p.m. Everybody else, they're coming to see you, kick back, to relax. But no, you go to work at 9. And it's hard. It was, it was definitely hard back in the day for a young you know, early 20s, mid-20s musician like myself in downtown Harvest, like, we were always offered free booze, free food, like, you know what I mean? You name it. And, like, it was easy to get into that lifestyle of just staying up late, partying, Uh, you know, and it just, there's so many nights that I remember and there's so many nights that I don't remember, you know what I mean? And that does not occur when I'm playing in the worship band on Sunday because one, I'm sober, it's awesome. And I recall these things. I recall the moments. I also recall the first time like uh, being up in the worship worship band and then realizing, oh yeah, like they know all the words, the lyrics are on the screen and everybody knows and they're all singing. How you doing? Good. So in a nutshell, I mean, it's like every gig, everyone knows all your lyrics. It reminded me definitely of the heydays of downtown Harvest Man and that energy that comes back off the crowd to you. It's magical. You know what I mean? There's nothing really like it at all. And I used to play for people who were patrons of the beverage, patrons of the drug, patrons of the night. Never played for patrons of God, for God or God himself or itself or herself still on the fence. Do you know what I mean? I felt so good the first day, like afterwards. And then like, you know, I had gone out into the lobby afterwards and like, you know, people had started to come up to me and I forgot about that part, dude. I forgot about that part. And I had such gratitude and almost like humility too, in a way that like, I forgot that's such a big part of it is that people afterwards want to connect with you because what you do on stage. And, you know, I, um, I wish that I could go back in time and teach myself as a younger self how to to do that and how to really appreciate and how to engage with the fan or the person who is a member of the church. You know what I mean? They're like, man, you rock. You know what I mean? And I'm like, thank you very much. And I mentioned to you what I mentioned to them sometimes. I say it's, it's so much different. I used to play in the band, play late at night, but, you know, it's so much different when you're playing for God, the energy of it. You know, you would get done a set back in the day at the General Lafayette Inn. We'd play two sets. We wouldn't leave there sometimes till 3 a.m., 4 a.m. We'd be making ice cream in the back, <laughs> making chicken tenders in the in the deep fryer, drinking the Pacific Pale Ale and the raspberry mead. you get home late, and then the next day, you know, you'd wake up at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, you know what I'm saying? So I'd be done on Sundays, I'd be, I'll be home by like 1 PM. And then I have that whole day to like relish in that glow. You know what I mean? Like relish in that aftermath of participation between humanity. You know, there's nothing, nothing like it, man. There really isn't because it's so special. Um, especially when you're feeling it as a musician, you know, I mean, 
I, when I, you know, I have footage of myself when I first start playing. My bass guitar was very high up, almost like mid torso, you know, like I would wear it up real high. I was nervous all the time. I didn't know how to get into it. And that's where, you know, years of practice come in, but then that's also where rehearsal comes in. And that's the thing that I think is really important as a musician is you should be rehearsed when you walk into the room. Other musicians my age, other musicians, whatever age, if you're a professional musician, show up knowing the material. We don't have time to learn it. I don't have time to learn it. Come with the fire. You know what I mean? And after time, like you, you practice these songs and then when it comes time to perform it, I think Judas said to me once, you know, it's kind of like you're just on autopilot up there. And for me, it wasn't autopilot. It was like the last time I played, played three times. But the last time it was the time where I was like beforehand, I was like, all right, God, you do what you want with me up there and let me be as loose and free as possible and as spirited. You know what I mean? Because the songs are emotional. We, and like for me, like, you know, Downtown Harvest, I think the, the only band I've ever been in that did slow songs was Ditto Demi, which was like a country band and we had some like dobro slide or whatever but i i've never done like ballad songs and i i find them to be quite fun steve's re wife rebecca came out it was great and then afterwards you know they were like hey we're gonna have a barbecue you want to come over we go over and um you know the birds are on it's the first uh, game of the season everybody's in the jovial mood everybody's in still that afterglow of sunday service People are eating, they're having a good time. Game starts, birds are up, it's great. Can't find my wife, can't find Tyler. And then Steve's wife, Rebecca, the owners of the house, first time we've ever been there, comes running in and says to me, oh my God, Bob, I think your son got stung by some bees. And let me tell you something, okay? As a parent, you never wanna hear what I hear at this moment, okay? And it's like when your kid is screaming, it's like the scream you never heard, right? He's been here on this earth, God, given seven years, and I've never heard him scream like when he came in from being bit by a yellow jacket colony of bees in their backyard. He was barefoot, came back in, and like, dude, I, I went into like um, freeze mode because like one, I only... I don't remember ever getting bit by a bee and also too like we're in a stranger's house and like I don't it was like not cortisol it was maybe it was it was just like straight fear and I looked for my wife but here see my son ran from my wife you know and uh, we I think it's generational trauma why he runs away um, but you know we thank God Rebecca she's a nurse she's also a caring mother as well she uh, took us up into a bathroom privately where we, you know, were taking, trying to take care of him. But God, the screaming was just terrible. You know, he must have gotten bitten eight or nine times. At one point, we look in his hair and there's a bee like burrowed in there. Uh, guy does the sound at church. Justin swats it out of his, his head. And, you know, we make the call. We got to go. He's still crying. The whole way home, he cries just because the pain's just so enormous. He got stung on his like, you know, top of his skull. And I, you know, I, I, I got, I was scared. You know what I mean? I was like, Oh my God, is he allergic? So we're driving home. We're watching him. We get him home and like, you know, we're monitoring him. We give him some Benadryl. And at one point he looks over at mom and dad and he's like, I know it's just the pill that's making me tired, but I'm not. Can I go on my iPad? 
So we let him go on his iPad. And at one point, uh, like he looks over at me, he gives me a smile and I realize, oh my God, he's high on Benadryl. Thank God. My son was okay. He didn't have any symptoms as being allergic, but he was very scared like the next day to go out because he thought that the bees would be coming to get him, you know? And that was just kind of heartbreaking, but it's days later now and he's broken it. But I'm just sharing the story because I think it's important as a parent to to relay the information that we all, like, you know how used to, they used to say, like, you know, it takes a village? It definitely takes a village, dude. It's a hard gig. You think about it, even with young babies, man, they need a village. They need a whole bunch of people. They need a cycle of people to go out through the night to wake them up to breastfeed this that or whatever you know what i mean we need each other is what i'm trying to say and if you don't got god in your life then you ain't living my name's bob and this has been another episode of the bobcast